Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's good to be here with you guys. This is my first time in New Mexico, and man, I love what I see. This place is awesome. I'm, it's like the heat. You know, I just walked off the plane. It's like Miami, you know. Uh, only they call this a dry heat. I don't get it. You know, hot is hot is hot, and uh, we got lots of it in Miami. So it's easy to teach on sermons on hell, you know, and uh, so uh, people can relate. But uh, that's not what I'm going to be talking about here, but truly it is good for me to be here. Um, it's, a, it's a blessing to finally come to this church. I got off the plane this morning first order of business find a burrito and uh we went and um, i uh when i say we it's me the father the son and the holy ghost uh that's, that's what i travel with but anyways uh um i ordered a burrito and they gave me this thing that resembled a sleeping bag i mean it was just huge and they said uh, green or red and i was like man i'm not from around here you tell me what to get you know the the, the chili sauce and all the rest and i just get let's do a rainbow give me both and uh so man it was great um man just it's awesome to be here with you guys and uh, I just feel so connected to this church here. I gave my life to the Lord Jesus in 1996. I was 21 years old. And soon after that, I read the book Harvest. And I read about Skip and, and the ministry. And I started getting messages from him via cassettes. And, and literally, I got hundreds upon hundreds of tapes from Pastor Skip. And, and um, I've heard hundreds of messages by Pastor Skip. And so I feel so connected to this church. And it's great to finally be here with you guys and seeing the work for myself. Pastor Skip has been just a, a tremendous blessing in my life. First, indirectly through tapes, but in the last several years, gotten a chance to know him. And uh, let me just say what Pastor Skip said there about him not wanting, uh, of him wanting to be here, not being something place else he means it he loves this church so much and uh one of the things i appreciate about pastor skip is that you know he's investing into that next generation that young and dumb generation that's coming up of pastors of which i am a part of and uh he's just been awesome and i love pastor skip and i appreciate him and lenya and, and the work that the, the lord has done through them and it's just been exciting uh to see um and um and you know he's, he's a practical joker too so you got to watch out with skip you know i ask him hey what should i wear and he says just dress miami and uh, and uh, it'd be fun. And uh, <laughs> but uh, but hey, it's great to be here with you guys. If you got your Bibles with you, open them up to John chapter fourteen. I'm going to be looking at the first six verses in a message that I've entitled "Heart Fix." For those of you that have been trying to do the math, I'm 34 years old. Um, how many of you are trying to do the math with the dates? Look at you guys! Come on. <laughs> 34 years old. I gave my life to the Lord Jesus in 1996 at Calvary Chapel in Fort Lauderdale. I started Bible college in 97, graduated in 99, and started a church in a house, uh, a whopping four years in the Lord, 25 years, had no idea what I was doing, still don't in many ways, but uh, the Lord has just blessed. And uh, it's the story of, of God redeeming people. And uh, it might be your story here today. Maybe you don't know the Lord, and maybe today will be your day. So let's go to the Lord and ask Him to bless our time together, and um, then we'll get into the study. Father, we do thank you so much for your love and your goodness to us, for bringing us here today, Lord. None of us are here by chance. None of us are here by accident, Lord. God, you know the kind of week that we've had. For some, Lord, it's been a hard week. It's been a dog-eat-dog week, and so perhaps some feel like they were the dog that God ate. But Lord, we thank you so much that we can come here 
And Lord, be refreshed by your word, by your spirit. And God, we pray that here today you would speak into each and every one of our hearts. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As human beings, there are certain things that all of us have in common. There are certain things that run universal through all of us. doesn't matter how different we can be at times. It doesn't matter how different our personalities might be. There are certain characteristics that are true of every single one of us. Though God made us different, though He made us distinct, there are certain qualities that are evident in each and every one of our lives. And one of those qualities, well, it's the fact that each and every one of us has a heart. Now, by that I mean the obvious. All of us have a beating muscle in the center of our chest that pumps and regulates blood throughout our bodies. Now, without a doubt, the heart is a vital organ. It's a necessary organ. Perhaps some of you might know that there are some organs that we can do without. Maybe some of you, you know, are missing an organ or two. Maybe you've had an appendix removed, or a gallbladder, or a spleen, or even a kidney. But if you don't have a heart, listen man, you are out of gas. For you see, the heart is a vital part of how we we function and operate physically. But in addition to the heart being this vital organ in our bodies, the Bible also refers to the heart as the center of who we are. It isn't just a blood pumping organ in our bodies. The biblical usage of the term heart is one that runs deeper than that. It is a term that describes the center of our being. It represents the center of who we are, the very core of who we are. It is where part of the thought process takes place. Our will, our intellect, the inner man. Proverbs 23 tells us that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs forth the issues of life. For you see, the heart is something that is central, not just to our physical lives, but it's something that's also central and vital to our spiritual lives. So much of how we feel and function springs forth from what is taking place in our hearts. That's why the Bible tells us that we need to guard our hearts. For you see, our hearts are susceptible to outside influence. Medical practitioners tell us that heart disease is among America's top killers, claiming the lives of over 36% of the 2.4 million people who die each year in the United States. In fact, you have almost two people die per minute as a result of heart disease. That almost happened to me as I ate that burrito. But anyways, um, it's a serious issue. As they say, it's as serious as a heart attack. And the same thing is true with our hearts, spiritually speaking. I think that the term heart attack is the perfect term to describe what actually takes place. Because that's precisely what happens. Our hearts are prone to all kinds of attacks from the outside. Attacks from circumstances. Attacks from, you know, a relationship that's gone bad. Attacks from stress. Attacks from worry, attacks from anxiety, attacks from tragedy, attacks from, well, you fill in the blank. Our hearts are vulnerable to trouble. As one commentator put it, you and I live in a cardiac age. And as a result, many of our hearts are heavy. There's all kinds of things that concern us. They keep us up at night. And you don't have to think too hard to find something that troubles you. I mean, just flip open the newspaper or turn on, you know, the headlines on, on, you know, CNN or whatever. I mean, we're living in a crazy world. It's a volatile world, always on the edge of war. We're living 
in a time where terrorism is just, you know, there's the fear of it. School shootings are becoming the norm. It's like you see a, sh- a school shooting, you don't even bat an eye at it. Because it's become like so normal. There are some that are concerned with the economy. There's no doubt that we're facing a, a tough economic um, season as it relates to the economy. And there's a, a big old question mark. And because there is, people's hearts are troubled as it relates to their future. They're scared of what's going to lie ahead. And it's a cause and a source of fear in their lives. Popular columnist Ann Landers said that the theme that ran most common in the letters that she received was that of fear. Fear of losing health, fear of losing wealth, fear of losing loved ones, afraid of life. Again, any which way we look at it, the heart is vulnerable to attack. But here in John chapter 14 verses 1 through 6, we got some good news. Because here we have the solution. Here we have the remedy. Here we have the fix. Now before we jump into the passage, we need to first understand the context of the passage. And the context of the passage is what is known as the upper room discourse. Starting in chapter 13 and concluding with chapter 16 of the Gospel of John, Jesus is spending His final night before the cross with His disciples, instructing them on some pretty important stuff. At this point in the timeline, Jesus is with the twelve minus Judas, who has left the building, and He's busy betraying Him. So here Jesus is talking to these guys, and what a night it was. It was an intense night. It was a gripping night. One that was dripping with emotion, one that was dripping with heartache. As we look at chapter 13, which precedes 14, it's a chapter of departure. It's a theme of betrayal, a theme of denial and abandonment. And that is the backdrop of the verses that we're about to read. Let's go ahead and read these verses, very familiar to you. And we're going to look at three things that I want to point out. Picking it up in verse 1 of John chapter 14, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now the first thing we see here in our passage is number one, the problem. And the problem, it's obvious. Their hearts were troubled. If you're taking note, the word for troubled there is a strong word that conveys horror. It conveys anxiety and agitation. It's the picture of turbulent waters. Kind of like in a washing machine when it's on that spin cycle and you see the water just, just, you know, suds and you see it just, you know, you know, washing back and forth and you see how what what happens with the water. That's how their hearts were. I mean, these guys, the walls were caving in on them. Why is that? Well, Jesus had dropped three bombs on these guys. The first bomb, well, Jesus said, listen, I'm going away and where I'm going, you can't come. Now, for the disciples, this was unthinkable. It was unimaginable. For you see, these guys dropped everything and put everything on the line to follow Jesus. They left their businesses. They left their jobs, their careers, in many ways, their families, in order to follow Jesus to the degree that they did. These guys staked it all upon the Lord. They put all of their eggs in the Jesus basket. And now Jesus is saying, hey, I'm leaving. Where I go, you can't come. 
And they're freaked out about this. The one whom they had come to know and love for the last three years is going away. The one whom they'd fallen head over heels in love with. And now he's saying, I'm going to leave you guys. To them, the party was over. Everything that they dreamed, everything that they'd hoped for, just suffered a devastating blow at the sound of the words that Jesus is leaving. And then, bomb number two, Jesus said, one of you guys is going to betray me. Now, this really was just an atomic bomb that went off among these guys. In Mark's gospel, the 14th chapter, 19th verse, we see their reaction. It says, they began to be sorrowful. And one by one, they started asking, is it I? Is it I? Could it be me? I mean, many times people think that Judas was the obvious betrayer. They think that when Jesus said, one of you guys is going to betray me, everybody at the table looked to Judas. You know, he was the obvious guy. He's like the guy that was wearing the Hamburglar outfit all the time, you know, <laughs> kind of a deal. It wasn't the case. Judas was one of them. So much so that when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, they couldn't figure out who it was. They were like, is it me? And, and I could just imagine the, the, what was going on among them. These these guys were a tight-knit group, so tight, man, that man, they were devastated by it. I mean, I look at the guys that I do ministry with. It's a brotherhood. And to think that, you know, one of us would do something like this would just devastate me. And these guys were numb. They didn't know what in the world hit them. And if that weren't enough, Jesus drops bomb number three. What's that? He said, Peter, you're going to deny me. Now, when these guys heard that, they must have said, What? Peter, the stone, our leader, the Italian stallion, Rocky, the rock, you know, Peter, what are you kidding me? He's going to deny Jesus? If he denies Jesus and he's the strong one, what's, where's that going to leave us? I mean, these guys were troubled from every direction. The anxiety level was on high alert. Their hearts were filled with uncertainty, fear, and doubt. And folks, that's something that all of us are susceptible to. All of us are prone to be troubled. All of us are susceptible to stress in our lives. Again, we live in a world in which circumstances can shift at the drop of a hat. I mean, I think the most predictable thing about life is the fact that it's unpredictable. I mean, we could be going one direction in one, in one moment, and in a moment's time, life can get hard and in a hurry. I mean, as Christians, none of us are exempt from that. I mean, as we look at the Bible, some of God's greatest servants were the ones that were hit the hardest as it relates to trials in their lives. I mean, the Christian life is full of difficulties. It's full of hardship. It ain't all green lights and blue skies, man. You know, I don't know where in the world do people think that the Christian life is easy. Did they go to the picture of, 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 you know, the Christian life is a bunch of people, you know, sitting around a campfire roasting s'mores and singing Kumbaya. When in fact, what the Bible teaches is the fact that we are the s'mores that are getting roasted and the devil singing Kumbaya. Because life is hard, man. Job got it right. Job 14, he said, man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And man, some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you've experienced hardship for yourself. Crisis isn't a stranger in your life. And you've been hit and hit and hit and hit. And once you think it's going to be over, you get hit again. You know, there you are. You, you finally see the light. Oh, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Only to find out it's a train. And you get hit again. And you get slammed. And that's how life can be sometimes. It doesn't let up. You know, sometimes you go through life and you feel like you've been thrown for a 30-yard loss. You can feel as though the bottom has dropped out from you. And then maybe that's you here today. 
Maybe things aren't going very well for you. Some circumstance or situation has come into your life and it's flung you completely out of orbit and you have no idea as to why. And it's got you numb. You don't know what in the world hit you. And if that's what you're going here today, right now, if this is what's happening in your life, I want you to know you aren't alone. That's exactly what is happening in the lives of the disciples. Their Lord, their best friend, the one whom they forsook all to follow is about to be taken from them and murdered. And their hearts were grieved as a result. They were troubled. Their world had come in collapsing right before their eyes. They had a huge problem on their hands or more literally on their hearts. So the question is, what do we do in times like these? How do we respond? Well, that leads me to my second point, And that is not just a problem, but then Jesus gives us the promise. Here we see a promise that we can lean upon in times of trouble. Look what it says. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Here we read a promise from the Lord. And what a beautiful promise it is. It's a life-changing promise. It's a promise that when understood and processed, it will lift us up from even the darkest depths of despair. It's a promise that when we embrace it, it will elevate us to a place of joy and peace, even in the midst of extreme hardship. But as we look at the promise, we need to understand two things concerning it. First of all, it is rooted in faith. Look what Jesus said. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Here we see Jesus giving the remedy. He's giving the solution. He's giving the fix. And the fix is, get your eyes off of your troubled heart and put them on me. That's what Jesus is talking to these guys about. He's saying, get your focus off the circumstance and place it on me. That's what what the Lord is saying. Now, as we look at this verse, it's one that is loaded with messianic deity. I mean, this isn't some Joe off the street. You know, if I came up to you and said, hey, you know, believe in me, you know, and all the rest, I, dude, you, you, you know, forget about it. But this is, this is God incarnate here. This is Jesus telling them this to that. He's saying, if you believe in God, believe also in me. What Jesus is doing, he's ascribing deity to himself. He's putting himself on equal plane as God the Father. And what he's saying to them... He's saying, get your eyes off of your problem, as big as it might be, as tough as it might be, and put your eyes on me. Put your trust in me. Believe in me. And that's what faith is. It is trusting in God. It is believing in Him. It is putting your eyes on the Lord. And it's something that is essential in the life of the believer. The book of Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It also tells us that that faith is going to be the very anchor that will hold you steady as we go through the rough waters of this life. It is the anchor to our soul. Now, here's the deal. It isn't a blind faith. It isn't a faith in something that is questionable or shaky. It's a faith in a, in a trust in a mighty God. God that created the universe. I mean, listen to what Colossians says concerning Jesus. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth. Things that are visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things consist. Now, if he is able to handle the creation of the entire universe, don't you think he can handle the daily aspects of our lives? 
I mean, that's a good thing for us to know. We have a mighty God in a world that is filled with mighty problems. Again, we will all face difficulties. There will be storms. There will be challenges. Life can be hard. But it is a good thing to know that we have a mighty God on our side. Whatever it is that you're going through, God is bigger than it. As crazy as it might seem, as painful as it might seem, as insane as it might seem, God will see you through it. And we can draw comfort from that. He has all the power that we need need all we need to do is just tap into it we trust in him walk with him put our eyes on him you might be struggling in certain areas of your life things that you want to keep give up listen he has the power to free you from it you can do all things man through christ who gives us strength but it is rooted in a trust in him now the second thing concerning the promise is not only that it is rooted in faith but it is also something that points to a future Man, what a glorious future it is. There in verse 2, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Again, folks, this world isn't all there is. You and I are heading for a glorious future. And that is good news for the troubled heart. I think that one of the greatest causes of stress in people's life has to do with the subject of death. I mean, nobody likes to talk about death. I mean, if you want to suck the life out of a party... I mean, imagine going to a party. You know, people there with their hors d'oeuvres and all that kind of stuff. Bring up the subject. Start talking about death. Say, hey, when you die, do you want to be, you know, buried or do you want to be cremated? You know, kind of a deal. Watch what happens. You're going to suck the life out of that party. You're going to clear the room. Why? Because no one wants to deal with the subject. And the reason, well, the reason is because of their perspective. For you see, for many people, they view death as an end. There's something about death that seems so final, but that isn't how it is for a child of God. Because for the Christian, death is the start of a new beginning. It's the start of a new journey. For you see, this world isn't all there is. This world that we're living in is not our home. Jesus said, we are in this world, but we're not of this world. The book of Philippians tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. And for those of us that have trusted in God, listen, we're heading for a city whose builder maker is God. A city not made with hands. Life just doesn't end. When it ends in this world, it begins someplace else. It is something that is connected to an eternity. So do not despair at death. Do not fear death. For those of us who have trusted in Christ, death has been reduced to a mere butler that will escort us from this life into the presence of the Lord. It is our finest hour as Christians. It's something that we can look forward to. The day, we don't know when. The hour, we have no idea. But when the Lord says it's time and we're ready, listen, it's off to see the King. And that's what Jesus is telling these guys. Verse 2 says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I love the terms that he uses here. They are family terms. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. Now, the word for mansion can be translated as abiding place. Now, to understand this, we need to understand Jewish culture. For you see, Jewish culture was big on family. Kind of everybody lived together. You know, when the son would get married, they would build an addition connected to the house. It kind of had the Hispanic vibe going on, you know. And, uh, you know, everybody just, everybody, family, you know, kind of a deal. And I know because I'm, I'm, my name's Pedro Garcia, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, 
That's how it was. Very big on family. And when a son would get married, the son would actually build an addition to his father's house. And when that addition was completed, he would then go get his bride and bring her in. Well, that's the same picture that Jesus is painting here. He is building a house for us. And when it is ready, He will come and take us to it. Now this can happen at the point of death or at the point of rapture. But either way, the Lord has gone to prepare a place for us in heaven. A glorious place. It's going to be an awesome place. I mean, just think of it in in these terms. Look at the creation that God has created. I mean, driving around here... Seeing the mountains, I mean, Florida's a pancake. I mean, we don't got no mountains there. I mean, it's just flat, you know. But here, you see these mountains, and and man, just glorious. God's creation is beautiful. And if it took him six days to create this beautiful creation that we see around us, just think of what he is going to pull off on a job that he's been working on for the last 2,000 years. I mean, that place is going to be awesome. It's going to be glorious. Now, as we look at the Bible, there are very few descriptions about heaven. We know, of course, what we see given to us by John in the book of Revelation. We also know Paul giving us a description in 2 Corinthians. He said that he was caught up into the heavens and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. It was a mind-blowing experience that he couldn't put into words. And for good reason. You see, heaven is such an amazing place that it cannot be adequately described in human language. I love how one pastor put it. He said, heaven's going to be a perpetual state of mind-blowedness. And that's what's going to be. You know, eye hasn't seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it entered into the noggin of man what God has prepared for those who love Him. Now, I know the concept of heaven is hard for us to grasp. Why? Well, because this is all we know. I mean, this world, we don't know anything else. It's like trying to explain to a baby that is in a womb for nine months that they're going to come out of that womb and they're going to start experiencing a world full of color, touch, senses, emotion, and feeling. The reality is, As hard as you try to communicate to that child inside the womb, they're never going to be able to comprehend it. Why? Because all they know is the womb. They like the womb. They're just there. We have four kids. And they're just there hanging. Oh, yeah, give me some chocolate. How about a burrito? Yeah. They don't care about anything outside. They're just, all they know is the womb. And the same thing is true for us. All we know is the dark womb of this world. But the day is going to come when we're going to be delivered through the birth canal of death and into an eternal life that is going to blow us away. Again, folks, heaven is only going to be better. It isn't going to be a downgrade. It's going to be an upgrade. Many times people think, well, you know, I kind of like it here. You know, heaven, I'm not sure about heaven. You know, they're going to turn me into a fat baby with wings and I'm going to play a harp all day long. That doesn't sound exciting. That's not heaven. Heaven is going to, man, if you are enjoying this world, listen, the next one is going to be infinitely better. So take heart in that. He's gone to prepare a place for you. You're going to get a new house. You're going to get a new body. And for some of us, man, that's good news. You know, because we need it. You see, these bodies that we have, they aren't getting better with age. Oh, sure, we might think they are. But in the end, they lose. I mean, you might have an hourglass figure now, but you just wait. The sands are going to shift. I mean, that's just the way it happens. You know, you hear people saying, well, you know, I'm like a fine wine. The older I get, the better I get. Listen, man, you better stop drinking that wine because it's got you diluted. You know, it's got you messed up. These bodies we have are falling apart. The older we get, 
Our bodies begin to groan. Yes, the Bible says we groan for redemption, but they groan. I mean, the mornings aren't what they used to be. Getting out of a chair isn't what they used to be. I'm making sounds. It's like, it's as if, you know, you get to a certain age and there's like new sound effects installed, you know. <laughs> kind of like we get new ringtones, you know, kind of a deal, you know. The other day, I picked up my daughter from the couch. I, I got four kids, you know. One's a seven-year-old girl. One's a six-year-old girl. I got a four-year-old go- girl and a two-year-old year old boy and we close the factory we're done we got the boy we're finished but these girls are beautiful on a side note they are beautiful pray for me you know as they start dating in 30 years you know I, i'm gonna need some prayer but anyways my good friend dennis agajanian says listen buddy you just tell those boyfriends jesus christ is the good news i'm the bad news you know and uh, but anyways I went to pick up my daughter, you know, from the couch, and I almost threw out my back. Just today, just today I was in Starbucks, you know, and I went to Starbucks before I came here, and two girls, great girls there working behind the counter, you know, and one of them says, what cologne are you wearing? I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm in a, I got cutting edge cologne on, man, people, and then I said to her, it's this brand, and she goes, that's what my dad wears. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> Like, all right, that's good. I told her, I said, you're going to make the sermon tonight. You know, I let her know that. (laughs) You're dead. But anyways, but here's the deal. Praise the Lord that the day is going to come when we're going to shed these bodies and move into some new ones. Philippians chapter 3 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies that may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. When we get to heaven, we're going to get a new body. There's going to be a metamorphosis. There's going to be a transformation. We are trading in these dilapidated models for a new and infinitely improved model. One that doesn't get old. One that doesn't hurt. One that doesn't decay or de-teeth or de-hair. One without love handles, man. One without limitations. And what a day it's going to be when we're united once and for all with the Lord of our lives. And to look into His eyes and to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, what a day that's going to be. So do not be troubled. Praise the Lord. So do not be troubled by the problem. Remember the promise. It is a promise that is rooted in faith and a promise that points us to a future. And then thirdly and finally, the third thing I want to look at with you is the path. The path. This is a question that we need to ask ourselves. How is it that we can get there? I want to go to heaven, but how? How does it happen? How do I get there? What's the road? What's the path? What's the ticket to ride? Well, that is what we see here in the next few verses. Here in verse 4, Jesus makes reference to that path. We read, and where I go you know, and the way you know. Now here we see good old Thomas speak up. I mean, he just comes in and interrupts Jesus. I mean, this is the upper room discourse. And he just comes in and just just drives a semi in there. Now, Thomas, he's Mr. Negative. I mean, Mr. Skeptic. He was a doubter of the bunch. I mean, this guy, as I've heard it, I've heard it said before, he had a question mark for a brain. I mean, he was the one that didn't believe, you know, that Jesus rose from the dead. Oh, when I see, you know, the, the nail print hands, you know, I'll believe it. When I see the, the hole here, I'll, I'll believe it. And then we remember when Jesus, you know, appeared to him. I often wonder what it looked like. You know, you imagine Jesus going, 
Tommy, I see you through the hole. I see you. I see you. you know, I don't know. That's what I would have done, but Jesus is good. You know? <laughs> Jesus is just, he's, I, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he did do it, but um, that's what I would have done. But again, he didn't get the name Doubting Thomas for nothing. But what I love about Thomas is the fact that he was honest. And here we see him come in, vintage Tommy, interrupts the situation here. And the Lord is speaking. The Lord says, and if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. Now the other disciples were probably going like this, like we do in math class. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And they really didn't understand anything. But Thomas responds, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and we have no idea how to get there. I mean, we have no idea what you're talking about here. He was honest. You got to love this guy. He thought out loud. And here we have to thank Thomas for this interruption because it gives way to one of the most radical statements that Jesus Christ ever made. It is what is known as the sixth I am statement that is recorded in the Gospel of John. As many of you guys know, the Gospel of John stands in counter-distinction from the other Gospels in that it builds itself around seven specific signs or miracles that Jesus did and seven statements that Jesus made. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. And then the one that we're looking at here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what we see here in the sixth verse of John 14. We see the sixth I am statement. And here he lays out for us the pathway into heaven. You want to know how to get to heaven? Here it is. Jesus said to him, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now here we see one of the most controversial statements that Jesus ever made. Controversial? What do you mean? Well, here in this verse, Jesus tells us that He is the only way to heaven. He isn't a way or one of many ways. He is the way as in there is no other. There are, and there's people that have a problem with that. They think that that's too narrow-minded. I was in New York City one time, and I was doing research for a book that I'm working on. And let me just be honest with you, it's, the, book's, it's, the process has come to a screeching halt. I haven't done anything. But anyways, and we were there trying to strike up conversation with people. And, and we started talking to this one lady. She's a French lady. She's a very nice lady. We said, you know, the conversation went to spiritual things and we started talking about Jesus. And she says, oh, I, I love Jesus. You know, but kind of like he's one of many ways and all that. And then I said to her, you know what Jesus said? He said that you're either for me or you're against me. And she says, he didn't say that. I said, yes, he did. And she said, no, he didn't. I said, yes, he did. She said, no, he didn't. I said, let me show you. Read it here. And then I took her to the verse where it says, you are either for me or you're against me. And she looked at that and she let out a sigh and she said, I have a problem with that. And that's a sentiment that many people have. Listen to what the prophet Oprah Winfrey believes. Look what she says. <laughs> Just kidding. She has no prophet. But look what she believes. One of the biggest mistakes that humans make is to believe that there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths that lead you to what you call God. And it's a viewpoint that many people hold. People don't like narrow-mindedness. They like open-mindedness. They like broad-mindedness. They like the multi-lane highway of religion. They like the buffet style. I'll take a little Christianity here, a touch of Hinduism over here, a little New Age with a little Buddha on top, and that's going to be good for me. Listen, 
That's not the way it is. But yeah, we're living in a world that says all roads lead to heaven. Doesn't matter what you believe. It'll get you to the same place. And so many people believe that. That the road that they're on is going to lead them to heaven. They think if you just be sincere with what you believe, you'll find your way there. Listen, it has nothing to do with how sincere you are. And it has everything to do with truth. I have been sincere and wrong all at the same time. You can believe that heading south on the I-25 from Albuquerque is going to get you to Santa Fe. And you can believe it with all your heart. And you can be incredibly sincere in your believing. But you will be sincerely wrong. For if you head south on the 25, you're not going to end up in Santa Fe. Say hello to the fine folks of El Paso. But you're not going to get there. Anyway, you slice it and dice it. It has nothing to do with sincerity. And it has everything to do with truth. And that's the bottom line. And folks, as we look at truth, truth is narrow-minded. It doesn't budge. Two plus two is always equaled four. Always has. Gravity doesn't budge here on the earth. You don't believe me? Jump off a building and see what happens. You're going to just sink to the bottom of it. I don't climb trees anymore because of gravity. And there, there's, there's just some things in life that are narrow. And here's the thing. Many of, many of us, in many cases, enjoy narrow-mindedness. For example... When I go to the dentist, I want him to be narrow-minded. I want him to narrow his focus on the one tooth that needs work. I don't need him to say, well, Pedro, I'm not going to be narrow-minded today. I'm actually going to drill all your teeth. I don't want any of them to feel left out. I want to get them all. In fact, I'm going to fit you for some dentures. You know, no, narrow-minded, one tooth. I had a friend of mine that got a root canal on the wrong tooth. You know, you narrow-minded. When you go to a surgeon, you want him to be narrow-minded. You don't want him to start peeking in there and start pulling things out and all the rest that are perfectly fine. You want him to be narrow-minded. You look at an air traffic controller. You want him to be narrow-minded. You don't want to be the pilot of an airline and have the air traffic controller say, well, just land it wherever you want. No, tell me where to land it. You want him to be narrow-minded. And if we accept narrow-mindedness in the various avenues of life, how can we not accept it when it comes to the creator of the universe? He's the one that sets the rules, not us. That's why he is God and we are not. But yet so many people want to do things their way. They want a Jesus that's going to be able to fit into their lifestyle. Again, I cannot count the times that I've talked with people and turned the conversation to spiritual issues where they will say to me, I believe in God, but I believe Him in my own way. A mi manera is what they'll say in Spanish. You know, I believe in Him, but it's my way. You know, kind of a deal. And what they have is a Burger King, have it your way kind of Jesus. The problem is, is that he's not a Burger King, have it way kind of Jesus. He is the King of Kings. I am the way, the truth, and the life kind of Jesus. And it cannot be our way if we have a God that says it must be his way. And folks, I ain't arguing. The path is narrow. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way, which leads to life, and there are few that find it. Now we can look at that and say, man, that's narrow. But narrow shouldn't be our concern. Our concern shouldn't be if it's narrow. Our concern needs to be if it's true. And if it's true, then that's the way we go. If the broad way is true, then we go with that way. But here we're seeing that 
It is a narrow road. Now, according to what Jesus is saying here, the lights are going down on Broadway, man. You know, it's going to eventually, the, the Broadway is going to lead to hell. And you don't want to be on that road because that road is going to lead you to an everlasting uh, existence apart from God. You don't want to be on that road. You want to be on the right path. You want to be on the right road. And that road, that path, well, it is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to come to the Father? It's got to be by me. He wants to be your way. He wants to be the truth in your life. And He wants to be the life. He wants to lead you. He wants to give you the truth. And He wants to give you life and life to the full. The question is, will you let Him? The question is, are you on that road? Are you on the road that leads to eternal life? Are you on the road that leads to the abundant life? Are you on the road where you're experiencing God's blessing in your life? Are you on the road of God's perfect will for your life? Are you on the road that will lead you to the ultimate heart fix? Are you on the road that leads to heaven? If not, then what in the world are you waiting for? Well, Pedro, how can I get on that road? I want to go to heaven. I want God's plan for my life. But how do I get there? What must I do? Well, the Bible says, To as many as receive Him, to them He gave the right and the privilege to be called His children. To those who receive Him and believe on His name. Well, Pedro, how do I receive Him? I want to receive Him. I want to believe on Him. How do I do it? Well, in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. How so? Well, we're going to all bow our heads and close our eyes for prayer. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to simply raise your hand. And here's what you're doing by raising your hand. You're saying yes to God. You're saying yes to His plan for your life. You're saying yes to the forgiveness of sin. And the Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And because we have, we stand separated from a holy God. But God in His love for us sent His Son Jesus to die upon a cross for us so that we that would believe in Him wouldn't have to. But you must believe in Him. You must surrender your life to Him. And that's what you're doing by raising your hand. You're saying yes to God's plan. You're saying yes to God's goodness. You're saying yes to His peace. You're saying yes to His joy. You're saying yes to the purpose that He created you for. And make no mistake about it. God made you. The Bible tells us He fearfully and wonderfully made us. He fashioned and formed us in our mother's womb. None of you are here by accident. Some of you might think you were an accident. Maybe your parents told you, you're an accident. Well, we weren't expecting you. You know, maybe you have a brother that's like 40 years older than you are. You know, kind of a deal. Listen, in God's economy, there are no accidents. He made you. He created you. He created you to know Him. And until you come into a relationship with Him, listen, you're not going to be living, you're going to be merely existing. For you see, God made us in such a way, when He wired us, with an emptiness inside of us that can only be filled by Him. The Bible tells us that He created us subject to vanity. And the problem is, is that many of us, we go through life trying to fill that emptiness with all these external things. Whether it's relationships, career, job, possessions, you know, get your house, get your wife, get your two and a half kids, you know, your white picket fence, you know, you get your motorcycle, your boat, or no boats around here. But anyways, uh, you know, get all these things. And if I could just get all these things, I'll be happy. But there as you go through life, and you come and you get those things, it's like the elusive carrot there, you think you finally got it. And it just eludes you. 
And the deal is, the reason why that can't bring you happiness and meaning in life is because they can't. The only thing that can is a relationship with God. And that's what I offer to you here today. That's what you're doing by raising your hand. You're saying, Jesus, I want to follow after you. I want you to come in my life. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want a brand new start. And that's exactly what he'll do in your life. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've been. You know, that's what makes the love of God so compelling. He stands on the door and knocks. And many times we say, well, as he's knocking outside, well, I'll let Jesus come in, but I just can't do it right now. I need to clean up my life first, and then I'll let him in. But here's the deal. Until you let him in, you will never be able to clean up your life. And that's what makes the love of God so compelling. He sees, even though he's outside of the door of your heart knocking, even though he's out there, he knows everything that's going on inside your life. He knows what you think. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what you've been through. And he still loves you. Now, what I'm asking you to do here is respond to that love. Does this mean that life is going to be easy from here on out? Man, you just heard what I've talked about here today. Life is hard. It's, 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 it's difficult. You know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. But here's what I promise you. Though the, the winds howl and though the rains pound, you'll have a God that will never leave you nor forsake you. And he'll be with you, low even to the end of the age. And that's what I offer to you here today. And I pray that today would be your day as I give this opportunity right now for you to raise your hand and say yes to God and come to him. Come home. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Amen. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I thank you so much for your love and your goodness to us, Lord. And God, we thank you so much that, Lord, you are working and moving on the hearts of men and women here today. And God, we pray that now as this invitation goes forth, Lord, that God... You would give the boldness that people need to respond to you by raising their hand and then making a stand for you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, there might be some of you here today, you've walked in here, you're asking the questions of life. What's this thing about? What's the meaning of this thing? What's going to happen when I die? There's got to be something more to life than just this, my friends, there is. But it's found only in a relationship with God. And that's what I offer to you here. It ain't about a religion. It ain't a relationship with a church or with a pastor or with a priest. It's a relationship with the very God that made you. He loves you. And he wants to come into your life and forgive you of your sin and set your feet upon a rock. And he wants to give you life. Only Jesus can give life because only Jesus has life to give. And he wants to give it to you now. But you need to respond. I wish I could make this decision for you, but I can't. This is a decision that you need to make here tonight. And I pray that today would be your day. Would you want a brand new start? Would you want to know that if you die today, you're going to go to heaven? Would you want your sins to be forgiven? Would you want to be living in the middle of God's plan? Well, if that's you, then respond to this invitation. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, how many of you would say, Pedro, pray for me. I want a relationship with God. I want to settle the issue of eternity with Him today. I want to know that if I die today, that I'm going to go to heaven. I want to have a relationship with Him. I want his plan for my life. I want his peace. If that's you, right where you're at, I want you to raise your hand so I can see it because I want to pray for you. Just get it up so I can see it. God bless you right there, sir. I see you. God bless you over here. Is there anybody else? God bless you back over there. God bless you in the back. I see you. God bless you over here, young man. I see you. God bless you back there. God bless you over here, sir. God bless you there in the back. I see you. God bless you there. God bless you. God bless you. All the way in the back up in the balcony, I see you guys. God bless you. 
Father, I thank you so much for these hands that have gone up, Lord. And God, I pray that now as the opportunity is given for them to make a public stand for you, that you would give them the boldness that they need in order to make this stand. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.